Welcome to this week's podcast. I'm Stuart McCullough, CEO of VHAA, and joining me for this week's discussion is Senior Workplace Relations uh, Consultant, Georgia Dillon. Welcome, Georgia. Thank you, Stuart. Georgia, the way this works is that we show a clue which will suggest the subject for today's discussion. It's in the form of an image. It's now on screen. So for the benefit of those people who are listening to this podcast rather than watching, could you describe what it is that you see? It appears that we've got a, uh, a battery um as well as what looks to be part of an overdue notice uh or the label at least and then uh i'm taking that to be a cup of tea all right just in terms of those three components um yes that is a battery in terms of the second item whether that's an overdue notice i don't know i've never seen one and uh in terms of the third item uh, that is indeed a, a cup of tea so based on on those clues what would you say the subject for today's discussion is well, I think that I think the second part has to be duty. Um, negative duty doesn't sound like something we would be encouraging. So I'm going to think that we might be talking about positive duty. Positive duty it is. And to give that a context, today we're going to be doing a bit of a deep dive into the positive duty with respect to uh, the guidance released by the Australian Human Rights Commission, uh, which uh, concerns some legislative changes that were made and the obligations that are placed on employers uh, through the Sex Discrimination Act. So these changes and the guidance uh, that go along with them are crucial uh, as part of the effort to address workplace sexual harassment and discrimination. Yeah, that's right, Stuart. These guidelines take us through these changes that were brought about by the Anti-Discrimination and Human Rights Legislation Amendment Respect at Work Act 2022, that is a mouthful to say, um, which amended the Sex Discrimination Act of 1984. It is a lot of information to digest, but we hope to break it down for you over the next half hour or so. All right. Well, let's let's start with the fundamentals. Uh, in December 22, uh, there was a new positive duty on employers and persons conducting a business or undertaking uh, to eliminate workplace sex discrimination and harassment. That came into effect in December 22. And that's a major shift of focus for, for some employers nationally, but less so in Victoria. And we'll come to that issue later. Yeah, absolutely, Stuart. This new federal positive duty requires employers and persons conducting a business or undertaking to actively prevent workplace sex harassment and discrimination instead of just reacting to it when it occurs. Mm. This means taking reasonable steps, steps to eliminate workplace sexual harassment, sex discrimination and more. And just in terms of the source of uh, of that shift, uh, it's really a product of um, that uh, the, the Commission's Respect at Work report uh, and indeed, it was a key recommendation. That work, of course, was led by Kate Jenkins uh, at the time. And um, in order to help employers understand their responsibilities and how to give that effect, the Commission has developed uh, really a range of educational materials. Yeah, that's right. They've um, So far, they've developed three main guides. There's the guidelines that we're discussing today, the guidelines for complying with the positive duty. There's also an information guide that they've put together that addresses relevant unlawful conduct, drivers, risk factors and impacts, and also a quick guide to complying with the positive duty, which is really a condensed version of the, of the guide that we're discussing today. Um, all of the materials and also some fact sheets and other, other materials are up on the Australian Human Rights Commission website. Um, and we'll pop a link in today's show notes so that that's easily accessible. And probably one of the fundamental questions is who is enforcing these new obligations? So there's a few. 
Um, there's a few pathways, but the, the starting point is the Australian Human Rights Commission, um, the AR, AHRC. Uh, they've been granted new regulatory powers to investigate and enforce compliance with the positive duties. And these compliance powers are going to start from the 12th of December this year. Um, they're giving, so that's to give employers and PCBUs time to adjust. So let's go back to the guidelines, which are really um, the, the, the pathway uh, to, to understanding how to meet this obligation. Um, just in terms of that, why are those guidelines so important? So as I alluded to just before, the guidelines form a part form part of a suite of guidance materials to help organisations and businesses understand their positive duty, the standards they need to meet, and the actions they can take to fulfil these legal obligations. These guidelines are the Commission's most comprehensive resource about the positive duty. That sounds like we should uh, jump into the guidelines and take a bit of a deep dive. Um, they do explain who uh, must satisfy the positive duty, who's responsible for satisfying it, uh, what it means to take reasonable and proportionate measures to eliminate unlawful conduct, and how the positive duty will be enforced. Yeah, exactly. The guidelines set out four guiding principles and seven standards for organisations and businesses to meet the positive duty. All right. Sounds like we should go through the uh, both the guidelines and the principles. So the the, the guideline uh, the guiding principles are based on a uh, a general human rights approach and support the promotion and protection of human rights. That's the underpinning principle. But they include consultation, gender equality, uh, intersectionality, and a person centred and trauma informed approach. Yeah, these principles are all about creating a safe and respectful workplace while acknowledging the unique risks and impacts of unlawful conduct. And I think it's worth noting those principles will be familiar to health services and community health centres. Uh, they won't be new uh, to, to our sector as such. But I did want to ask a question just in terms of these national changes and Victoria. Um, and that's, does Victoria already have a positive duty to eliminate these behaviours and other discriminatory behaviours? They do indeed. They actually now have several obligations that come from different acts, but What's been around since 2010 is the positive duty under the Equal Opportunity Act to really eliminate sex discrimination as well as other discriminatory behaviours, victimisation, etc. And now the now this new positive duty under the Sex Discrimination Act is also enforceable. And these are also in addition to the obligations that arise under the Occupational Health and Safety Act to maintain a safe workplace. That's a really good point about the Occupational Health and Safety Act and, and that connection to safe workplace, you know, of, but of course, but it may not occur to people to, to look at it through that lens. Um, Georgia, what's at stake for employers uh, if they don't meet the requirements as set out in the guidelines? So the guidelines themselves don't have legislative force. However, they're going to be used by enforcement bodies like the AHRC and the Fair Work Commission and work health and safety authorities such as WorkSafe. Uh, employers who don't follow or comply with these guidelines are likely to be found in breach of their obligations. The uh, AHRC now has, has a range of tools to monitor and enforce compliance, uh, including conducting inquiries, giving compliance notices, applying to federal courts for orders and entering into enforceable undertakings. Yeah, they can initiate an inquiry if they reasonably suspect non-compliance, and this suspicion can be based on various sources. Um, I wanted to come back to a point that was raised earlier, which was that term reasonable steps uh, and what's considered to be reasonable steps to eliminate sexual harassment. So mindful of this requirement uh, demands that employers take all reasonable steps to eliminate it. 
Yeah, it does. And and what's considered reasonable, I think, is is very dependent on the the size, the resources, and the specific circumstances of a business. It isn't a one size fits all approach. Uh, so all employers need to actively work to eliminate sexual harassment or they risk legal responsibility for any incidents. And you said earlier that the Commission's guidance outlines seven standards uh, applicable to all organisations. Um, and so it's worth noting those seven standards address the subjects of leadership, uh, culture, knowledge, risk management, support, reporting and response, and monitoring, evaluation and transparency. Yeah, that's right, Stuart. These standards are vital in creating a safe, respectful and inclusive workplace. Um, I think now we should probably take a closer look at them. Well, let's let's start with leadership. Um, Organisations are expected to ensure that senior leaders are aware of their positive duty obligations under the Sex Discrimination Act, uh, and they should set conduct standards and create a safe, respectful and diverse workplace. Yeah, and I think some practical advice to senior leaders would be to subscribe to updates, participate in education sessions, establish a prevention and response plan to keep up with best practices, and they should also encourage employees to provide feedback and acknowledge good behaviour. And watch this podcast, uh, of course. Um, Absolutely. uh, The second standard uh, we referred to before was was culture, and I know that um, health services and community health centres pay a lot of attention to that subject of, of culture. So um, as I understand it, what it's really trying to say is that organisations should strive to create a workplace that is safe, respectful, inclusive, and values diversity and gender equality. Yeah, absolutely. And I think this involves paying attention to gender balance, developing gender equality strategies, and modelling respectful behaviour. It's also about consistently discouraging and addressing disrespectful comments in the workplace. So Georgia knowledge is the third standard. Um, Organisations are expected to create and enforce policies addressing respectful behaviour and educate employees to promote that safe, respectful and inclusive environment. Yeah, they are. And I think this can be done by uh, through regular training, policy documents and making information easily accessible to all employees. Um, you know, you could even consider putting it into your orientation materials. So that's in employees' minds from the beginning. Uh, of course, members will have policy documents and all that sort of thing. So it's really about revisiting those settings to make sure that they that meet the guidelines and the, and the standards. Absolutely. Just on that point of gender balance, you know, we, we can't mention gender balance without referring to the baseline report from the Commissioner for Gender Quality in the Public Sector, which you know made those points around um, the, the gender balance within the sector and within health, uh, but also the differences between the gender balance and gender balance in leader uh, in leadership uh, as, as such. Um, just in terms of the fourth element, risk management, uh, organisations, as I understand it, should uh, recognise that unlawful conduct poses a risk to health and safety. Um, Georgia, one of the interesting things for, for members is that, of course, um, community health centres, health services and hospitals, they're public facing. Um, it's the public nature of delivering those services. And it's a challenge, I think, for members to consider those risks in that context, uh, just in terms of dealing with members of the public, but also with, uh, with, with patients or other people who um, uh, may not intend to, to, um, to act inappropriately, but for reasons such as uh, cognitive impairment or otherwise, uh, that risk is real and it still needs to be managed. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's a, a unique challenge that, um, that health services have in this space. 
Um, organizations and health services can include tasks related to the positive duty and job descriptions. They could implement additional measures to support at-risk employees. And importantly, engage in consultation with workers to identify specific risks, because often the workers are the ones that are going to know where these risks are. I think that issue of consultation is is true of any OHS issue. Uh, and I think that idea of uh, identifying additional measures to support at-risk employees and giving consideration to that is is, is critical. Uh, Georgia, that takes us to the fifth standard, uh, support, um, which is crucial to ensuring that support mechanisms are in place for workers who may experience or witness uh, unlawful conduct. Yeah, and I think this support should be available both internally and externally, and importantly, also allow anonymous access to support services in recognition that, you know, people might want, not want to be coming forward with these sort of things publicly or, um, you know, without that anonymity. I think that um, that issue of being able to do so without identification really goes to ensuring there isn't a barrier uh, to, to access, that people don't feel that that's in the way of them accessing those services. Um, we'll go to the sixth standard, which is reporting response, um, which is pretty self-explanatory about having an appropriate process for reporting, for reporting and responding to uh, unlawful conduct. Yeah, that's right. I think health services should enjoy it should ensure that the processes are consistent um, as well as timely, and most importantly, work to prevent harm. Um, like we've said, mm -hmm. like we've said earlier, uh, anonymous reporting should also be permissible. Just in terms of that reporting, and that's a reporting into the organisation or, or is it reporting, you know, for instance, to boards? Um, I, I think it's probably both. I think that issue of knowledge probably does connect back to that point of knowledge. It's a fair point. Um, that takes us to our last standard, the monitoring, evaluation and transparency. Um, so organisations should collect data uh, to understand workplace uh, unlawful conduct and use it to improve workplace culture. Yeah, and I think they can find they can conduct employee satisfaction surveys, share data with relevant personnel, and publicly report the findings to to try and meet this step. And it's worth noting, I mean, some of the, the that reporting has happened through that baseline report. How to make that an ongoing process, um, as such, it's that old adage that things that get measured get done. And I think in this kind of compliance space, you know, things that get measured get addressed. Um, just in terms of the um, the guiding principles uh, that are outlined in the guidelines, can you take us through that, Georgia? Yeah, I can. So the first of the four guiding principles is consultation, um, which shouldn't be a new principle to anyone working in, in health. Uh, it involves consulting employees to create a safe and respectful workplace. It's essential to ensure that the voices of underrepresented underrepresented groups are heard in the process. Um, and again, coming back to if it involves occupational health and safety, consultation is always a, always a cornerstone. Uh, the second principle is gender equity. So gender equality is both the cause, both the cause uh, and, effects, uh, and effect of sexual harassment. So organisations should always be striving in, in their own frameworks for this, um, for gender equality, to ensure that rewards and opportunities and resources are there uh, to be accessed by all genders. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the third principle is intersectionality, and this recognises that people's lives are shaped by their identities and social mm -hmm. factors. And again, I, that'll be something that's really familiar to, to members through the work of the Gender Equality Commissioner. Um, that intersectional approach helps identify and address uh, unique risks, risk factors for particular groups. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the last principle is 
the patient-centred and trauma-informed principle, which emphasises recognising individual needs and the impact of trauma. Again, should be should be something that's familiar to people, um, but it's about prioritising safety choice and empowerment while preventing further harm. That it is. Um, so by following these standards and principles, employers can create a safe, respectful and inclusive environment for all employees. And that's all wonderful. But what about some health specific examples? So let's let's go to a scenario. Um, so there's a large um, uh, community health service. They said that they staff to identify knowledge gaps and challenges regarding the new positive duty laws. The organisation then provides tailored training, updates uh, new start uh, orientation materials and promotes resources to ensure that, that staff are informed. So it's really an assessment of any gap and then uh, addressing that gap. Yeah, absolutely. I think another example could, could be you're in a psychiatric ward, um, there are challenges with patients sexually harassing staff, maybe young female staff. Sure. Yes. The, uh, the manager ensures that there are appropriate rostering and support for at-risk employees, such as not rostering those at-risk employees to work on particular patients, and then maybe having them accompanied by a male colleague should they need to be in proximity with that particular patient, just putting in safeguards to, to keep our people safe. I think um, what that really says to me is having a plan, uh, assessing the risk and addressing the risk, which again is, is all in the occupational health and safety space. Uh, health services may have to consider more uh, significant measures from time to time uh, where necessary uh, as such, particularly if there is a history of unlawful conduct. Yeah. So hopefully um, that's just a really a, a beginner a jumping off point for these new guidelines. Uh, we would strongly recommend that people review the guidelines and check their policy settings and do the activities that are suggested. Um, but this, uh, these, uh, it's all intended to provide a, a safer, more respectful health service uh, for, for staff. Yeah, absolutely. And by, by actively taking steps to prevent harassment and discrimination, employers are, are going to make a significant impact on workplace culture and, and go towards overall society change as well. So we'd certainly recommend that people go to the Australian Human Rights Commission website for those resources. Copies have also been posted to Beaver Engage. But uh, Georgia, thank you for taking us through the guidelines. Thank you, Stuart.